Hi, everyone. Welcome to Blueprint Across America. I'm Chrissy, co-founder and CEO of Blueprint Expansion, and we are on a mission to help companies hire the very best sales talent across the country. And we're focused on changing the way that organizations partner with recruiters with this particular focus on seeking out non-traditional talent. And so in today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about hiring non-traditional talent in the U.S. and what's changed, if anything, since 2020. And so with that, I'd like to introduce someone that I met through the actual interview process back in the day, Josh Isner. And so Josh is Axon CRO. He's responsible for global growth, customer service, professional services, and sales operations. So with that, Josh, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me today. I'm happy to be here and I appreciate the intro. Yeah, no, it's always great to have paths cross again. And um, I I think I was telling you um, a little while ago, I learned so much through the interview process, just going through it with Axon and incorporating it into companies I went to later on. So um, it definitely stood out to me. But before we get into to our topic, tell us a little bit about Axon. And um, for those that may not know about the company and what you all do. Yeah, sure thing. So ultimately, uh, Axon, our mission is to protect life. And uh, we're about uh, 25, 27 years old now as a business. And um, I arrived in 2009. And at that point, our only product is really the Taser. And uh, I think a lot of people have heard of the Taser, but um, um, uh you know, I'm not sure everyone understands exactly how it works. So uh, ultimately, um, this was our first kind of uh, product that we sold into policing. And uh, the intent there was um, to um, have a reliable option option to de-escalate situations before the police has the police officer has to report to have to, has to resort to a firearm. And so, um, you know, we think about things that happen in, in policing and oftentimes you might use pepper spray or a baton, but there are real big setbacks with those um, uh, products because they leave lasting effects for both the suspect and the officer. And with the taser, essentially uh, an officer fires out two darts that connect with the human body. They conduct electricity in the same waveform as your brain waves to your muscles, cause your muscles to tense up really quickly for a period of five seconds. And during that five seconds, the officer can safely get a suspect under control with um, really, instead of broken bones or uh, lasting effects of pepper spray, um, really two pinpricks that uh, are where the darts landed. Officer can remove those on the scene and safely de-escalate a situation. And it's one, it's kind of a crazy thing. One thing led to another, and there were questions about how tasers were being used in the field. So it came out with a camera you put on the taser, and um, that really started to show exactly how these how these devices were deployed and used. And at one point we said, well, why is the camera on the taser instead of on, on the body, on the officer's body? And thus body cameras were born. And uh, since then, you know, the bigger question now has been, what do you do with all the footage the body cameras are recording? And that um, and thus kind of our evidence.com business was born, which is our big SaaS uh, digital evidence management system for public safety. And, and that's actually the largest part of our business right now. So we're really proud of where we've come as a business. We, we take our mission very seriously. Uh, where we feel like we're part of the solution in this national conversation about um, uh, the relationship between police and communities. And we view our products as um, uh, products that create more visibility and transparency into what's happening and can can promote uh, mutual accountability uh, for for everybody involved. And, uh, you know, we're we're hoping to continue to uh, advance toward uh, helping um, everybody get home safe at night. 
Yeah, no, it's amazing. The mission's amazing and then the evolution of your products, right? From hardware to, you know, tech and SaaS, right? And obviously you're, you're selling all of those still, but it's really neat to see how you all have done that organically um, and been able to reach and grow the, a new and bigger addressable market. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of companies want to do and they struggle with. But um, I think when you do it organically and kind of have it centered around your mission, it always ends up working out really well and, and scaling naturally. So pretty neat for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been, um, uh, we're, we're really kind of, uh, excited about where we've, where we've come and it's, it's a hard transition to go from a hardware company to a software company and, um, or to an overall technology company from, from just a hardware manufacturer. So it's, it's taken a lot. It's, it's taken a, um, a lot of new folks on the team and a lot of, a lot of institutional knowledge from the folks that have been here a fair amount of time. And, uh, it's just been a lot of fun as a whole. We're, We're really proud of how far we've come. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And speaking of just like evolution and change. So, you know, we're talking about non-traditional talent today and, I think that's a word that is becoming more and more, I don't want to say popular, but just familiar in the vocabulary of hiring um, and things that people are talking about. And so non-traditional from a candidate perspective means a lot of different things to different people. What does it mean to you when you think about it today? I think uh, it, it, for us, it's more about, you know, folks that embody the right traits and skill sets, but have not yet put those on display in a, in a, in a business like ours. And so, um, you know, we, we, uh, we love folks that, that have a lot of the right traits and qualities that we can teach our industry to. So for us, that's, that's how we kind of think about non-traditional hiring. Yeah, no, I think that's great. It's, I think there's so many things with hiring that are archaic and how we look at things and, especially the amount of tech companies that are out there with startups. We have so many more options now. And I think just seeing how important behavior, they've always been important, but now I think on full display, it's slowly but surely um, people are starting to realize, oh, wow, these things matter so much more. And I want to be able to, you know, teaching someone is something that I should, you know, if they're coachable, be able to care about more than do they have the perfect profile to be able to come in and hit the ground running. Um, so totally agree. What, what would you say has been your biggest change that you've made personally in your hiring approach since 2020, if anything? You know, I, I think maybe it dates back a little further than 2020, but one thing I've noticed is, you know, as our business gets bigger, uh, we need to have the right mix of people who are non-traditional and then, uh, folks that, that have some subject matter expertise or knowledge because the combination of those two populations is really uh, where, where I think the, the impact lies. You can have people who challenge the status quo and, and challenge the way things are done now. Um, and then of course you can have, uh, you know, folks that, that keep the conversation in the guardrails where they might've seen other things that, that, you know, didn't necessarily pan out or that idea before that didn't necessarily pan out. And I think that's, that's a valuable uh, perspective to have on the team as well. So um, uh, ideally, you know, having, having a combination of both of those things is really what we've learned. I think we started out at one point with, you know, all uh, 
folks that have done it before. And then we kind of pivoted to the other end of the spectrum of, of really high potential folks. And, and I think, you know, the combination of those two things is, is, is the right answer. Yeah, no, for sure. Did you find, and not to make this all about the pandemic, I just feel like a lot of things kind of surfaced and going through that. Did you, did you find that you got more candidates applying um, or, or different backgrounds after knowing that things are more virtual now? I know that you obviously still travel, but a lot of the world was, most of the world was shut down last year, right? So everyone was pretty limited regardless of what they were selling. So just curious. Yeah, a, a little bit for sure. And I think the thing that the pandemic really showed us is working remotely, you can, you can be very effective. And that I think that's not only um, changed our perspective a little bit on on the types of people that we hire, but also the locations of those people. Whereas before, we wouldn't even be looking in markets where we didn't have an office. And now all of a sudden, um, uh, the Canada pool has really exploded because we view it less critical than ever, you know, for people to be located near one of our uh, offices. So um, certainly we've, we've learned a lot through it and, and uh, I think it's made the company better as a whole. Yeah, no, for sure. So now that you will, obviously the biggest part of your business is SaaS, do you, for, and maybe it depends on the role. Do you, do you all think or believe that people have to have SaaS experience to be able to sell your SaaS product? And maybe it's a different, I have a view on this of like the, depending on the role, but just curious your thoughts on that as you all have evolved into a tech company. Yeah, definitely not. Like we we don't we don't consider having SaaS experience a, a must have for our team. I think the key for us is just people who can talk in terms of ROI, regardless of what you're talking about, whether it's a service or a product or a piece of software. Um, ultimately, it's it's really about can you convince the buyer that the dollar they're spending today is going to be a multiple of that dollar in terms of the return and right. uh and the po the folks who can talk in terms of that um narrative and can who and most importantly who can ask the right questions to uncover the true latent pain and the true cost of not having the product you know those are the folks that that we find to be really successful at our company irregardless of, yeah. of experience selling software as a service yeah for sure it I don't know if you have a view on this, but I, so many companies struggle with that, right? Um, where they're like, you have to have this experience and this. Mission. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? I do, but I'm just curious to start with you. Yeah, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous path to go down. I, I personally think it's, it's, you know, um, it's limiting uh, in terms of, uh, you know, those same people who are good at it now, at one point, they didn't know what SaaS was either. And, right. and it, they're living proof that when you coach people and, and uh, develop them and help them, you know, refine their skill sets, you know, that's what they turn into over time. And, and so there's nothing to say that there, there aren't people with the same or better initial skill sets that once you teach them how to sell software as a service, they could they could turn out to be even better. And so for us, we're, we're, we're willing to invest the time uh, that it takes to, to coach and develop really good people. The thing we can't control is what they have to work with uh, on the front end of that process. Yeah. And so when we find people with all the tools in the toolbox, those are the people we're going to bet on for the long term. No, for sure. I've, I've always found it so ironic when companies on their website will display like our software is so easy to use. It's 
very adaptable and personal, but then like you can't sell it unless you have 10 years experience. Selling right. That, right? right. So, you, you know, you're, you're, you're talking out of two ends there, but I, but I think it really goes to the more I've been in this, especially on the recruiting side, which I just never thought I'd be in, but it happened. Um, is that, and you kind of touched on it is the training and the onboarding. I think so many companies struggle with putting focus there and just not having the bandwidth or a, a program or any type of structure of, how they're going to onboard people that they're really hoping if they have this background, then they'll just hit the ground running. Right. And I think, you know, until you solve for that, you're going to continue to have the same challenges. Um, but, you know, even going into talking about past, um, what do you think is the biggest mistake in your opinion that companies make that alienates top talent from applying? You know, I think, uh, there's probably a couple. The, the first, uh, the, the first that we're finding is you have to have a mission that matters to people these days. Like people want to feel like they're part of something bigger. And there are a lot of great companies out there, but not all of them have have great missions where their impact is felt. And so for us, I think we we you know being a mission driven company, it, I think it does help us recruit you know top talent. The other the other element is you know salespeople or they're financially motivated a lot of times. And when you show a salesperson a growth path where, you know, the company continues to sell innovative new products where those reps will have a lot of different types of, uh, of products to sell and, and, and are selling them into loyal and positive customers. Uh, that means a lot to them too. And then the last one, a question I get asked all the time are, is our commissions capped? And, and for us, I think there's no easier way to alienate your top performers than to cap commissions. And so that's a big part of our uh, DNA as a sales team. We want to celebrate when people can make a million dollars in a year and look at that as an awesome, awesome thing that we're happy to sign that check, not, not, um, uh, a, a company that's going to look at that as a bad thing. Uh, we think that's, that's a culture killer for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. It, you're so right about like a mission. It, there's so, and I think again, because of technology, the amount of the companies that we have and the opportunities to be a part of growing with those companies, it's just multiplied. Unlike anything that we've had, you know, over the past, like, I mean, 20 years even. Right. And so, there's so many opportunities for candidates to go places and, you know, they want to be behind that mission. Technology changes the world, right? So everyone feels like they're a part of changing the world and being behind that, that mission is important. Um, so when it comes to like kind of looking at non-traditional candidates, how, how do you look for potential in someone without a hundred percent like focusing on their past? Yeah, we, we, we tend to test for, really five traits that that we're looking for in every every person and, and I think it can be brought out through questioning right um, uh, for us it's really about having folks that that we view are, are talented they have some level of intellectual curiosity they ask good questions they can point to experiences in their lives that um, that show they that they've achieved in the past whether it's on a sports team or in school or at a different company um, there are a lot of I think a lot of ways you can measure for just a baseline level of talent and achievement. And then from there, it's people who are, who are 
flexible, they're versatile, they can do different things. For us, our business changes year to year a lot. And so right. to have people that you can depend on to do different things as opposed to just one thing, uh, that means a lot to us. Um, we love people that can get to the right answer on their own, especially managers. We don't we don't have a culture of micromanagement or where one person makes every decision. And so making sure that we trust our managers to get to the right answer, because that's what they're going to be asked to do ultimately. Um, that's big. And then uh, folks that we think could generate outcomes, right? Sales is outcome based. You could be, yeah. you're never going to be the best salesperson in the world unless you can prove it numerically. And so that's that's the fourth one. And then the fifth one is 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 maybe the most important of all, which is we want to build a really mentally tough team. We've had a great run. We we've we've you know had a decade plus of really exciting growth at this point, but. It hasn't been easy all the times. It's been threatened. There's more and more competition in the market. The barriers to entry are lower and lower. And so for us, it's um, it's making sure that regardless of how things are going in the moment, that we have people who can stay focused and bet on themselves and and um, and overcome a lot of adversity. So um, being able to test for mental toughness and and understand, hey, is this person that's going to up their game as the stakes go up and as the pressure goes up, or, or is this person that's not going to be as comfortable in those circumstances and environments? That, that's a big question that we try to answer before we ever extend an offer. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, and kind of going through, if you see, and I've, I've had a lot of conversations about this with hiring managers, and especially since last year, my perspective has changed a little bit because around the job hopper topic. So you look at a resume, you try to see like, you know, are they staying for a long time? And I always like preach to my reps, look, you, you want to make sure you show that you're going to stick it out when it's tough, right? Like, and that you're going to work to, to do not just the right thing, but be a part of the solution, right? Instead of just complaining or going elsewhere, because you're always going to run into those things. The only thing that has changed for me since 2020 is so many people um, that I knew were top performers, like got laid off and were taking jobs. <coughs> and so it's made it harder for me to just look at a resume and know which of those ones weren't top performers, right? And then which ones were. Um if just because they, they took a couple jobs in 2020. And so I've started having conversations with folks and I'm learning more than I ever would have, because I never would have taken those conversations before, but I'm just curious your perspective of if you've seen a difference in that or, or, or your thought of how you look at a resume before you talk to somebody. Yeah. For us, we're still um, more on the dogmatic side on that one. I would say, I think for it's, it's, um, uh, we tend to like people who have been in the same role for years and years, not the same role, but at the same yeah. company for years right. and years and have like a a, a a history of being promoted at that company. So that's still very important to us. Yeah. And the second one is we still we still believe the best people that we can find are the ones that companies are are potentially holding on to. And that's not to say there's exceptions to every rule, right? For us, it's it's a question of what pond do you want to fish in? And we've we've absolutely hired people in the last year that have been currently unemployed or that were recently laid off. But in terms of the pond to fish on, you know, efficient and, and one thing I tell all of, of my team is, you know, think about the company. If things weren't going well for Axon, who are the people that we'd want to hold on to? And it's our, sure. you know, the best of the best in every segment of the company and you know we, we never want to see our top salespeople leave and so when you multiply that out you know it is 
for us, it still is about finding the top salespeople that other companies don't want to lose. Like those are the, the, yeah. the most predictable high achievers. So that's still where we spend the most of our time in recruiting, but absolutely more than any time in the past, we've, we've also seen more and more really high quality candidates that it didn't work out at their last job. So we, yeah. we tend to still be on the side of, we're going to, we're going to find folks that are passively looking. But um, there's there's absolutely exceptions to that rule, especially yeah, sure. this year. And, and it is important to show that, you know, it's not even just about staying somewhere long, but that the company wants you to be a part of that. Right. And you're part of that growth and strategy. So I totally especially because there are so many companies out there today. And I think it's a little more tempting than it used to be to be able to switch over to an organization. Right. For money or, you know what, this is new. It's the, the new shiny object. And I'm going to go ahead and bounce on over there. So, um, That's right. yeah, for sure. Um, so just like kind of closing thoughts on this, any, anything else on hiring in general or non-traditional talent that you think you all have done well and would just be good advice for others that you've seen, you know, kind of the fruits of your labor come from? Yeah, I think for us, like one thing we tell our hiring managers a lot is trust your instincts. And and while that sounds really simple, I think the mistakes I've made hiring are the ones where I've said my first impression wasn't very good or I kind of was skeptical up front. And then you kind of heard one or two things you like. So you kind of ignore your instinct. And those very, very rarely work out. And And I would say for me, I tend to know within a minute or two of meeting the person of like, is this someone that, that could conceptually work out at Axon? And if the answer is yes, then you keep probing, you keep asking questions where you want to continually be reaffirmed in, in, in that belief. Uh, but um, there are very few examples of folks that after the first minute or two that, that I didn't have a good feeling. And then we've ended up hiring them. Like there's not a lot that have worked out. And so I think that's the one where oftentimes, you know, at our company, we hire so many people year to year. There's, there's a, there's an energy and a um, willingness and an intensity about finding the right people as fast as we can. And, and oftentimes um, that, that can really backfire if you're not convinced that the person you're talking to is a hundred percent, the right person for the role. So that's one where it's, it's, um, you know, I think it's super, super important that, that, that all hiring managers trust their instinct because only they know their culture and only they know the types of people that can be successful at a certain company. And, and, and that, that instinct is really, really valuable. And, and so that's one where, um, uh, it's hard to describe, but, but when you know it, you know it. And when you know, it's not going to work out, you got to trust your instinct in that regard as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think also just the interview process, right? Like not, especially in this market where it's really competitive, you know, I always tell people and you all have definitely done this, you know, don't stray away from it. You need to be tight with it. Mm -hmm. You need to still be uh, succinct and you need to be aligned, but you can still have that whole process to ensure that you're going to, find the right people, right? Don't skip steps um, because at the end of the day, it, it might get you a higher faster, but it's not going to have a long-term result, right? So, right. and I think and that's just so important. And if a candidate, you know, senses desperation on the company's end, it makes them question why why that is. Is it something right. a lot of other people said no? Has it, been fine, has it been hard to find people that are interested in this role or this company? Is there something that, that they're not telling me? So, you know, treating it as a true evaluation and staying true to the process, I think that's another one that's, that's a really important one uh, to, to, to be disciplined on. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today. This was great to kind of go over and get your insight on how, you know, a company like Axon is looking at this and um, with, with non-traditional talent and also just some good tips, right, on, on what to do. But um, if, you know, Axon is hiring a ton, they have more, I, you know, I don't even know the number on your website. So it's a lot though. Um, We've gone from about 200 to 2,000 in the last uh, seven or eight years. So it's wow. been, we, we're hiring a lot every year. It's at least a couple hundred people a year at this point, probably, you know, last few years, definitely more than that. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited. Folks are inter- interested. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out and apply. We'd love to hear from yes, them. For sure. Awesome. Well, you have a great Friday. Thanks for doing this with me and um, we'll catch up again soon, but thanks um, to all our listeners for for hearing this podcast. And yeah, if you're interested in Axon, um, go to www.axon.com. Check out their careers and their openings and all their departments and apply if anything seems like it's the right fit. So. Awesome. Amen. Thanks, Chrissy. Nice yeah. to see you again. All right. Nice to see you. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate Alrighty. it. Bye-bye. Bye.